do want to welcome you and welcome all those joining us online today. I'm Pastor Zach. Shelly and I serve as lead pastors of Connection Point Church. So glad you're here today. Can you believe it's already June? Welcome to June. Welcome to summer. I trust that you'll have a great summer. Uh, One of the great things about summer is oftentimes it's a time for people to go on vacation, to take trips as a family. I know we always look forward to that time with our kids. It's fun to go. It's fun to load up in a car and to travel somewhere. Anybody have any (laughs) amen to the travelers who keep on traveling? (laughs) The professional travelers, (laughs) professional goers. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Anybody traveling this summer? We got a few people. Yeah, it's a great time to travel. It's fun to go. The the passage we're going to look at this morning as we continue our series in Luke is a passage where Jesus is sending people to go. And they have a great time because they come back rejoicing. They are an example for us of the life that we're offered in Jesus and how we can see extraordinary things happen. And so that's what we want to dive into today. We want to look at how do we live extraordinary lives. And this passage will help us find it this morning. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you do. Hope you've got a Bible with you today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10. We are double digits, folks. We are flying. Luke chapter 10, we're going to keep on going. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word today. And uh, we stand just out of reverence to say, God, thank you so much for giving your word to us. And uh, we want to follow it. So we're going to be reading in Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 1 to 20. And it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, and to every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful. Lord, open our eyes to see a plentiful harvest. May we not be so short-sighted that we don't see the harvest out there. Let's start there. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be on this house. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what you provide, what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven." These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. If you were here last week, 
we left off in Luke chapter 9 with a message on don't get distracted. And I find it interesting. I love the correlation of these two texts together, these passages. Uh, again, if you were to go back to the original text, there are no chapter markings and verses. It was just, you know, flowing from one to the next. And, and it's interesting the comparison of you've got a group of people who Jesus is interacting with as he set his face on Jerusalem. He's traveling to Jerusalem. He's all about the mission. And he encounters people who are distracted, distracted with comfort, with cultural, relational obligations. But then now you fast forward to our text today, and what do you have? You've got obediently followers of Jesus who are experiencing the extraordinary. They're obediently following Jesus and saying, we're not distracted, we're going to go. We're going to fulfill your commands, Lord. What an interesting correlation between the two texts. And, And so I think we should start there. I think if you were to honestly examine yourself, and we'll have a couple of times throughout this message for you to do that, where do you find yourself this morning? Are you among the distracted? Or are you among the obedient followers? The way that you can tell is how you respond to God's word. Do you just hear it and kind of go on with life? Or, or do you hear it and apply it to your lives? Application is what counts. It's not just that you've heard it, but how are you applying it? So for you to experience the extraordinary, for you to live an extraordinary life like these 72, You've got to be willing to live the life that they lived. And so they help us to see how you live an extraordinary life. And the first thing you find as these 72 live the extraordinary is they, you live an extraordinary life by going and sharing the good news with laborers in the harvest field. It's kind of a mouthful, but I'll I'll explain it. You experience or you live an extraordinary life as you go and share good news with the laborers in the harvest field. Luke is doing something kind of interesting in this passage. The first thing he uh, opens with is to say 72 were sent. That 72 is important because if you go back to Genesis chapter 10, there's a list of the nations. And guess how many are there? 72. What Luke is doing is he's using this as a precursor to say, look, God sent Jesus. He's the original sent one. Jesus in Luke chapter 9, he sends out the 12 and now he's sending out the 72. So as he sends out those 72, what he's saying is, God is a God of the nations, and he's going to go to them all. Because Jesus is for everyone. We've talked about that here. So we are a part of that 72 group, as we say, and we're going to go to the nations too. This is why it's such a joy that this week we sent a check to missions headquarters for our denomination. Sent them a check for $50,000 to say, we want to see the church planted in Iraq. You did that. You are a part of the 72 that way. Praise God for that. It's an amazing thing that we're investing in the lives uh, for the sake of eternity, Iraqi lives. You're a part of that group of 72. So he does that first. Then the next thing he does is he puts the, he basically gives the instructions in an interesting order. He doesn't say here that Jesus gathered the 72, gave him some instructions and sent them. Doesn't say that, no. Jesus says he sends out the 72 as though like Jesus is staying behind somewhere. He doesn't, but so as though Jesus is there and then like a voice from heaven says, and now here's my instructions. And here's why this is important. Because what Jesus tells him, he says, pray for laborers. But where does he tell him to pray for those laborers? In the harvest field. I think too often we have mistaken, like I should be praying for laborers out of this party. That's wrong. Why? Jesus assumes you're already a part of the 72 being sent. 
So you're already being sent. What your job is, is as you go into the harvest field, where's the harvest field? Your neighborhood, your workplace, the marketplace. While you're in that harvest field, you should be praying for laborers. You want to know who the laborers are? Those already in the harvest field. You are to harvest co-laborers. That's what we're called to. We're called to pray for our neighbors, to pray for our work colleagues, because they might be unchurched, but Jesus says they're meant to be laborers, so bring them along with you. That's part of what Luke is doing here. It's interesting how he orders the passage. So I just felt like, you know what? The first thing we should do is respond to that first point. What's the first thing those 72 do? He says, pray for the laborers. So I'm going to pause and I want us to do that right now. I want us to take 60 seconds. We can take one minute. But here's how I want us to do that. I want us to do this in an interesting way. Now, I want to give you some instructions, and it's going to be important for you to know directions. Uh, We've got some people that are directionally challenged, and that's okay. This is north. This is south. This is east. This is west. Do you know where your neighborhood is? Can you point? Look at we got some people pointing. Point for you where your neighborhood is. Take a guess. All right. Here's what I want us to do. I actually want us to do the first thing that Jesus, because it doesn't do me a whole lot of good to talk about God's word and not lead you into obediently following it. So everybody uh, stand up for a minute. Stand for a moment. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to face your neighborhood. Face your neighborhood. This could be awkward for a minute. Say hello to that neighbor next to you. You should have done that already anyway. Now you're looking at people's faces. And here's what I want you to do. We're going to take 60 seconds. I want you to pray for the laborers, your neighbors in the harvest field right now. And I want you to pray for them by name. Pray for people in your workplace if that's what you'd like to do. Face your workplace, face your neighborhood, pick one. And 60 seconds, we're going to pray. Ready? Go. God, I just ask that you would be with Mike and Gina. God, I pray that, that you would bring them to the place of uh, being harvesters. God, I just pray that they'd be co-laborers with Shelly and I. God, I pray for Kara and Bart. I pray, Jesus, that you would help them to, to see the value they have as a, a child of God and, and their place in your kingdom. God, I pray that they would be laborers with Shelly and I in our neighborhood. God, I just pray for Joe and Faith. I just pray, Jesus, that, that you'd help them to have a heart to labor with us, Lord. I, I pray as they are a part of the harvest that you'd bring them into your kingdom. Jesus, we just pray that, that we would respond to your word. I just thank you that you invite us to live extraordinary lives. And so, God, I just pray that we wouldn't miss it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to be seated. First step you need to be praying for your neighbors and your work colleagues. They are the laborers. They are the laborers that are meant to labor with you in the harvest fields, in your workplace, and in your neighborhood. Can I tell you this morning, that wasn't a really difficult thing to follow Jesus in. His instructions aren't difficult, but they are meant to be followed. Can you pray? That's the first thing. The second instruction Jesus says is, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Well, that doesn't sound very nice, does it? Jesus, why why would you do that? Anybody ever seen a sheep, like, fight off a wolf? It doesn't go very well. You don't put those two in a cage and expect the sheep to win. It just doesn't happen. But I want to tell you this morning, so if we're the sheep, what is the defense of a sheep? Their shepherd. Who is our shepherd? Jesus, the good shepherd. Jesus, the good shepherd, is our defender. If you look at the 23rd Psalm, a description of who the good shepherd is, it says in there, thy rod and thy staff, 
They comfort me. You want to know why those things comfort? Because the staff helps give me direction. It helps to bring me out of danger. You know what that rod does? It fights off those things which would come against you. Jesus is your defender. So you can go out as a sheep among wolves. You can go out into an evil world knowing Jesus is your defender. I shared an example of this in our lives uh, before, so if you've heard it, Bear with me, but I just felt like it applied to this message. I want to share that again today that uh, Shelly and I, while we were living in Jerusalem, so before coming here, we were there running a school for Palestinian youth, and, and uh, Jerusalem's an interesting place. It's, it's a bit contentious, somewhat stressful. You know, it's a place of conflict. So, you know, you have interesting interactions with parents and students, and, and one of the students we had had gotten in fights over and over, and so we just said, look, you've got to be out of the school for a couple of weeks. You're just, you're having a hard time playing well with others. Well, this parent, the dad did not like this, so he went and he came to visit me. Well, it was kind of an interesting meeting because I was sitting in my office. I was up on the second floor where my office was at, talking with my dean of students, uh, who is a pretty good guy, you know, pretty good stout guy, pretty strong. And, and uh, then all of a sudden I see my business administrator, he's running up, <clears throat> big guy two, six four, big guy, and, and he sits down, but he, like he's sweating, he's out of breath, and uh, he asks, has, has Abu Muhammad come, and the father of Muhammad? And I said, uh, no, I haven't, I haven't seen him. And he says, oh, okay, well then, maybe like a minute later, he's I see this father coming down the hallway being escorted by our 6'6", 350-pound guard. I mean, this guy was a tank. So he's being escorted, and he comes down, and I just have an interaction with his father. We're talking through the situation with his son that, you know, our heart is for him, but how can we really help him? And, and then the father leaves. Well, so we just kind of go on about our day. The next morning, there was a men's prayer uh, event, and so I was there helping set up for that. And my business administrator was there, and he said, God must really love you. And I said, Why? He said, Abu Muhammad, the father of Muhammad, he came to my office first yesterday. He said he was angry and he was going to go up to your office and punch you in the face. And so he runs you know, out of my office and I'm trying to get out of my office and somebody stops me. And, and, and so then I ran up the stairs thinking he was already in your office and, and things had gone bad. And, and he said, so I didn't understand what happened. Well, what happened was, is that father was angry, got into the elevator to go up to the second floor, the door shut, the electricity cut, he wasn't going anywhere. I bet you didn't know God puts people in time out. He does. God can cut the electricity to an elevator if he so decides. God is our defender. I just, I love it. By the time he got up there, two things, like, you need to cool off for a couple minutes in the elevator. And by the time you get up there, you're going to be greeted by someone 6'6", 350 pounds. <laughs> That'll slow you down a little bit. God is our defender, folks. We just have to understand the kind of authority that we walk in in Jesus' name. When we're sent, Jesus is with us. We can't miss that. Uh, we find this in the Great Commission. What promise do we have? We've got in Matthew 28, another passage on being sent. Here's how I know that Jesus goes with us. Sorry, I've got to find it too. All right, Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is talking here. Go, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded. So teach them in such a way that not only do they hear it, but they walk in it. That's what we did this morning. I want you to start walking in the word. Uh, and he says, and behold, what's that last promise? I am with you. Man, those should be comforting words. 
It's not like he sends us out alone, folks. He doesn't send us out as sheep among wolves, and that's it. He sends us out as a good shepherd to say, I've got a rod, and I'll take care of things while you go. Part of what God is trying to do, part of what Jesus wants to do is teach us dependence on him. How do I know that? Next line. Don't take anything with you. No money sack, no sandals. Don't take a change of clothes. Just go. Like for my (laughs) soon-to-be teenage son, he's like, woohoo! I don't have to take an extra pair of clothes with me. I can be what I want. But for a lot of us to be like, whoo, I might need another pair of sandals. You know, I, I don't want to come up short on stuff. But Jesus is saying, don't take anything with you because I want to teach you God-like dependence. What does Jesus say? Come to me as a child. Does a child worry about their provisions? If they're raised in a good home, they don't. And do we serve a good father? Absolutely. He can take care of you. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's going to take care of you. So the first thing is you go and you pray. You should be praying for your neighbors and colleagues. Second thing is, is after you've done that, you need to be okay to engage the world you live in. Know that Jesus is with you. And then the next thing that Jesus says is go and share good news. Go and preach peace into people's home. Tell them peace be with you. You've got incredible authority to speak peace over the homes in your neighborhood. Man, I want you to speak peace. The shalom of God to rest on your neighbor's homes. If you don't realize it, many of your neighbors probably need God's peace resting in their homes. They're going to go out, they're going to show a facade, but there, you close that door, there's probably not peace behind that door. They need you to go as peace agents into their homes. And what does Jesus say in that context? He says, go and speak peace, and if it's not received, don't worry about it. The results aren't up to you. I think too often we feel like the results are up to us. They're not. Our job is obediently follow, live with the mindset that we are sent ones, Go and speak peace, and if it's not received, it's okay. You're still going to be a good news carrier. Still do your thing. Go speak peace. One of the things I want to, I want to mention here is I was reflecting on, there was the part in there that says, do not go house to house. I'll tell you up front. It would be taking that verse out of context to say, it's wrong to go door to door and share Jesus. That's not what this verse is saying. That, that would be totally removing it from context. But I will say, if you look at the context of these verses where Jesus says, I'm sending you, and when you get there, stay put. And from that place of where I have sent you, begin to speak peace. Okay, how many realize that we live in a day where people aren't real keen on uh, somebody showing up to the door they don't know? I don't know of anybody that is like, oh, somebody's at the door I don't know. I'm so excited. No. They see somebody show up at the door, you're like walking past him, he's at the door, you're like, woo! And then you're whispering, do you think they saw us? Do you think they saw us? Right? That's how it goes. Like, the true green guy's at your door, you're trying to dodge him. That's just the way we live today. And so, knowing that's the culture we live in, I would probably say, I actually would not encourage you going door to door. So if you're reading this uh, passage this morning and you're feeling like, man, if this is telling me I've got to go talk to people, you know, door to door, I just, I don't feel comfortable with that. That's okay. That's not what it's asking. It actually is saying from the home that you live in, stay put there, begin to talk to people that are around you. Start building relationships with those people. Start building relationships with those colleagues and coworkers. You don't have to do anything more than live your life with Jesus at the center and be able to speak good news. That's what's being asked of you. And the last thing Jesus asks is he says, heal people. Heal people in my name. We live in a, in a day where people need healing emotionally, physically, spiritually, and you walk in that authority. 
I want to speak that over you today. You walk in the authority that you can pray for healing and it can be granted. I have never had a person refuse prayer. And that's not to say it doesn't happen. I've, heard, I've had friends where somebody said, no, don't, don't pray for me. I've never had that experience. What I would encourage you in is applying that first point this morning. Go to your neighborhoods and workplaces. Pray for your colleagues. Pray for your neighbors. Be able to go to those places and know that God goes with you. So don't, don't worry about engaging people in those spaces. And as you go to those spaces, be good to share good news. The opportunity will be there for you to speak good things and encouraging words into people's lives. And if there's an opportunity for you to pray, you'll know it. Just offer that. Say, can I pray with you about that? And pray. And watch if that person all of a sudden doesn't experience something in their lives that says, I need what you have. That's what it looks like to be sent. We make it more complicated than it really is. I don't need to teach you anything other than go with Jesus and be brave. That's it. We make it far too complicated. So how do you live an extraordinary life? You live an extraordinary life. You live in an extraordinary way by understanding that you've been sent, so you've got to live with that mindset, that you have been sent, and you've been sent to share good news with your neighbors and your coworkers who are part of the harvest but are also meant to be co-laborers in the harvest with you. That's how you live extraordinary. You also live an extraordinary life by obediently following Jesus. You live an extraordinary life by obediently following Jesus. This is really, really important. Jesus wants us to hear his words and apply them to our lives. Because what happens is after Jesus gives these instructions of go and pray and heal in my name, then he says, and those that don't receive you, woe to them. And he says, woe to Chorazin, woe to Bethsaida, woe to Capernaum. And why is Jesus saying that? Because his heart breaks for those cities. God's will is that none should perish. And what Jesus is saying is, I've gone to these three cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and to Capernaum. I've been to the ruins of all those cities, and they're ruins today. And, and so what he's saying is, all of these cities, I've done these things. I've gone, I've prayed. You look at scripture, it says that Jesus would find a, a place to pray. Oftentimes it was in that area. So he's praying for these cities. So that which he's telling the 72 to do, he has done and modeled himself. So he prayed for these cities. And what else did he do? He engaged the people in those spaces. And he continued to, to go and understand God was his provider. But he would preach good news and he would heal. So he's saying, I did all these things and yet there are still some who won't obey. They won't follow me. They won't take all of these words to heart. And so my question for you this morning is, does Jesus' heart break for you today? Are you in that category have you heard the words of Jesus but not applied them to your lives? That's, the, that's what is woeful for the cities of Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin. Jesus' heart breaks for you today if you're not applying his words to your life, if you're not obediently following in it. Because he wants you to live an extraordinary life. But for you to live an extraordinary life, you've got to obediently follow his words. I, I was thinking about, as I was working through this point, uh, was my mind went back to a C.S. Lewis book, The Way to Glory. And he's got this great quote in there. And I felt like this was a good example of what Jesus is talking about here, why he's woeful. Here's what it says. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, so C.S. Lewis writing here, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. 
we are far too easily pleased. So this is the question for you today. Are you distracted in making mud pies instead of obediently following Jesus and enjoying life by the sea? You're in one of those categories today. My heart for you is to join us at the sea. I want you there. But to be there, you can't just hear these words. You've got to apply them to your life. I think part of the struggle that we've had in applying these things to our life is we have a trust issue. I really do. I think we have a trust issue with God. I don't think that we trust him fully, and so then we read these words and feel like, I just don't know. I don't know that this is going to work out for me. So let me tell you this morning, God can be trusted. It's going to work out for you. Over and over. Every story in Scripture. But part of what's required for you, I was thinking about the Israelites stepping into the river of Jordan. It did not split until they put their foot in the water. So you this morning might need to put your foot in the water and watch where God shows up. Do it today. Obediently follow the words of Jesus, and as you do it, you will live an extraordinary life. And here's the end result. This is what I love. If you do this, if you go and speak good news to the laborers in the harvest, as you go and obediently follow God's word, what happens? You live an extraordinary life forever. It's unending. It never stops. You close your eyes in this life and you wake up in eternity still experiencing the extraordinary. And that's the life that God has for you. But you've got to take hold of it. And you take hold of it by following what God says, by following the teachings of Jesus. That's why we're spending so much time in Luke. Part of it was, I tell you, they were actually one of the weighty scriptures. I was working through the scripture. He says, he who hears you hears me. Woo! That's weighty for a pastor. That's weighty for all of you. So the question is, are the words you're saying, are they God glorifying? Would Jesus approve them? Because when you're speaking, you're speaking for Jesus. That's why I do expository preaching. Have you ever noticed all I do is go verse by verse and I talk about it? Why do I do that? Because I know if I'm up here speaking, the admonition is, is I'm speaking on the behalf of Jesus and that's weighty for me. So I don't want to mess that up. So I'd much rather you read the words of Jesus. So I make sure that that's what's being spoken more than I give any opinion on things. That's my heart. I want you to obediently walk in Jesus's word and you get to be able to speak for Jesus too and walk in his authority. And what happens for these 72 is they come back in joy. They come back rejoicing as though in unbelief to say, I can't believe that God used me that way. I can't believe he let me cast out demons and to pray for people and heal them. You are meant to live in that life. You are meant to live and experience so many incredible things in God's name, but you first have to step out and say, God, I trust you. I'm going to obediently follow your word. And as you do it, you experience extraordinary things. But I love how Jesus, he comes back. He's like, yeah, it's awesome. I sent you out with my power. But I really want you to rejoice in the fact that you have a loving heavenly father who's given you eternal life. We can rejoice in that. That's part of what we do on Sunday mornings. We rejoice, we come together and rejoice to say, God, thank you for giving me eternal life. Thank you for that. So we can rejoice. So as you step out and start to live in the extraordinary life, you get to rejoice in it too. I'm gonna invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. And the final word is this. How do you live an extraordinary life? You live sent. Live sent. And I'll tell you, part of the way that you're going to have to do that is you've got to change your mindset. It's not the mindset of most Western Christians to live sent. Jesus' words, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Metanoia, change your minds. Some of you might need to change your minds this morning. 
and to be able to identify what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus. Live as a sent one. And how do you do that? You live an extraordinary life forever by sharing good news with laborers in the harvest field as you obediently follow Jesus. You obediently follow Jesus by just stepping out in that act. I want to encourage you this morning, you know, one of the challenges is you look at that and you're like, man, I just don't even know where to begin. But can I tell you, that's why we're reorienting the whole church around that. Our job is to equip you to live extraordinary lives. And we're committed to doing it. Our mentoring groups are launching um, here in the next month or two. So those have already come together for this year. So you'd say, well, man, what am I supposed to do? I would say, keep diving into community. Stay here. As you stay on the journey with Jesus here, you're going to live this life. You're going to live an extraordinary life. But you've got to jump in and do your part. So dive in. Don't hold back from anything that God has for you. He wants you to live an extraordinary life, but what's required of you is to say, I'm going to keep going. If I found a place of belonging, fantastic. Do you believe in Jesus? If you believe in him, are you working to become like him? We want you to live and look like Jesus because as you do, you're going to bring those laborers along with you in the harvest. That's how we're structuring things, and I want you to live in that. As, as the music team comes, we're going to close. I just want to give invitation that maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here, and the reason you're not living an extraordinary life is because you've never accepted the invitation to follow Jesus for a lifetime. So you've got to start there. For you to live an extraordinary life, you've got to live firmly in your identity as a child of God and then live on mission for him. So if that's where you find yourself today to say, well, I just, I've really never devoted my life to God, do it today. Don't leave from this place without a, a, a decision to say, God, I want to live for you. So with every head bowed in this room this morning, if that's where you find yourself today to say, I want to live an extraordinary life, and I understand it starts by first saying yes to Jesus. I want to live for you. You've got to be willing to obediently follow him, and if that's where you're at today, just simply raise your hand. Let me pray with you before we leave. Anybody here that say, that's me. I want to live an extraordinary life, but to do that, I've got to follow Jesus. Anybody here in this space that say, that's me today. I want to make that decision to say yes to Jesus. God, I just thank you for sending your son. And Jesus, I thank you for teaching us how to live well in your name. So God, I just pray over this group here today, the 72 represented here today, the sent ones. I just pray, Jesus, that they would embrace the life you have for them. I pray that they would put their complete trust in you and to know, Lord, that they can step out in your name and that you're gonna meet them there. Jesus, may they be bold in the way that they live for you. May nothing hold them back. So Jesus, I just ask that you'd help us to live for you for a lifetime knowing that we get to pass from this life into the next, that we can live extraordinary now and experience the extraordinary later. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What I'd like to do in closing this morning, and I'll tell you, there's always a bit of attention for me. In Hebrews, we're called to spur one another on to love and good works. Because what I want to ask you to do this morning is to say, if, you're, if you would embrace that calling to say, I am a sent one. An extraordinary life is to live sent. And if you'd say, I want to embrace that today, then I want you to step out and join us in the front and we're just going to sing a song of surrender because a sent life is a surrendered life. And I want you to live in that. So the tension for me is, I don't want to pressure you in any way, but I also believe in positive peer pressure. It's a good thing in the church context. So what I encourage you today is, is if you're willing to step out and say, I want to live a sent life, come and do that. If you don't, nobody's going to look down on you. So just know that up front. 
But my encouragement is, I know sometimes we've got to take that physical step to live in a spiritual reality. And I want you to do that today. So as we jump into song, I invite you to the front that we live a surrendered sent life.